Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with stage 4 endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Today we want to talk about the idea of happiness and if it's possible to have happiness while living with endometriosis. So we want to do this episode on happiness because in the episode that we did previously on the silver linings that endometriosis brought me, I mentioned that one of the things that endometriosis had brought me was this ability to be happy anyways. You know, to be happy anyways, even in the face of the pain and the suffering that endometriosis causes. I really felt like I left all of you at a cliffhanger there. How rude. (laughs) How could you? I mean, audacity. After after talking for an hour about silver linings, like you can only cover so much in each episode. Like we got to tap out. We're hanging onto the cliff. Good luck. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) So we thought in this episode we could explain further the idea about being happy anyways and having happiness with endometriosis. So today, Brittany and I are going to talk about beliefs around happiness and how we could potentially find happiness. And then additionally, if you're hungry for more, Mm. ravenous, (laughs) you feel like you're hanging at the edge of another cliff. (laughs) How could we? We'll do our best to try to build a bridge over the cliff this, yeah. in this episode. But, Tie up the story for the adventurer, not leave them dangling. <laughs> but I mean, the thing is, these topics are so broad that there's so much to cover. So if you feel like you want more, then I have several reflections on happiness and peace and acceptance in my book. As you know, I recently published the book Finding Peace with a Devastating Disease. So if you're interested, we'd love for you to check out my new book. And we went ahead and we put the name of my book in the show description today. So my goal with writing the book was to share more in depth about a lot of the topics that we cover in the podcast, but to really go deeper into things like acceptance and mental health and living in peace with endometriosis, because ultimately, I think that we are all looking for the same thing. Like we are all looking as humans and as humans living with a serious chronic illness, I think we're all looking for how to have joy, how to have meaning, how to have happiness in our lives. And endometriosis can put a lot of obstacles in our way and make finding all of that even harder. Brittany and I really do believe that happiness is possible. And not just based on, you know, my experience with finding happiness and having endometriosis, but really based on the experience of millions and millions of other people in the world who managed to find acceptance, who managed to find happiness, who managed to find peace, even in the face of really, truly challenging life circumstances. 
But we really want to be clear that this is a process and finding happiness, just like finding peace and finding acceptance is a skill. It's gradual and it takes time. We do want to start by saying that if you don't feel happy, then you're a loser. <laughs> no, that's just Amy. what Amy says to herself when I'm not around. That's my really critical self-talk of like, if you're not happy, you're a loser. And then I'm like, why am I calling myself a loser? There's a whole nother There's a layer to, to that. to unpack. <laughs> but if you're not happy. Changing your self-talk is a huge part of being happy. We'll talk about that in a minute. Ooh, sneak peek. Yeah. <laughs> Spoilers. But if you're not happy, that's okay. Totally okay. It's 100% okay. In fact, that's totally normal. I feel like, could you say that to me again? If you're not happy, that's okay. How okay? Says the girl struggling with depression. (laughs) (laughs) Who, you? Who, me? (laughs) Person struggling with depression? And we're also going to talk about depression later on this episode. This is a very long (laughs) episode with a lot of tangents. (laughs) Well, this is a huge topic. It is. And it's okay not to be okay, and it's okay not to be happy. There's nothing wrong with not feeling happy. You're not broken. You're not a loser. I feel like one. Well, you're not one. I know, but I feel like one. (laughs) Well, it's perfectly valid not to feel happy. Feeling sad or angry or frustrated or upset or disappointed, any other emotion, even the negative ones, which... Another sneak peek. We'll talk about the idea of negative emotions. It's a lie. They're all normal. They're all valid. They're all what we feel as humans. I'm normal? Yes, you're normal. Well, (laughs) your emotions are normal. Let's not say you're normal. Okay, I understand. (laughs) Nobody's normal, and that's what makes the world beautiful. (laughs) We both feel all these feelings all the time, and I'm sure you listening also feel all those feelings all the time. No one's happy all the time, just like no one's angry all the time. Well, some people are angry all the time. Well, then we need to give those people a hug. (laughs) (laughs) So we're not telling you how to feel because we're also in the trenches with you. And we're not telling you how you should feel because we wouldn't react kindly to that either. But we do want you to know that whatever you're feeling is totally normal and human and valid. I'm feeling like I have to go pee. That is a valid feeling, person with interstitial cystitis. (laughs) (laughs) I'm feeling disappointed that I have to go pee because I just went pee five minutes ago before we got in this box to record the podcast. Suck it up into your bladder. (laughs) Hold it in. Suck up my feelings? No, your your pee. (laughs) Maybe also your feelings. (laughs) Well, jokes aside, if your feelings are overwhelming or you feel like you're stuck in them or you're constantly feeling a strong feeling that you may consider to be negative, or you feel like you may be a danger to yourself or at risk for others, please reach out to a mental health professional or a loved one. One of the keys to happiness is getting the support that we need. And sometimes we need extra support to work through and process our feelings and events and circumstances. I mean, I think we all know that living with endometriosis is really challenging. And there is trauma and there is pain both physical and emotional pain. There's suffering, physical and emotional suffering. There's grief. There is so much to handle and to cope with. And so we never, ever want you to judge yourself like I have done in my own case for so many years until I learned that it is okay to feel what I feel. We never want you to judge yourself or call yourself a loser 
or say to yourself, oh, I I should be happy, but I'm not happy. So what's wrong with me? Nothing. Nothing is wrong with you. I mean, you have endo and you have possibly fiber. (laughs) Nothing is wrong with you for feeling that way. Okay, I clarify. (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of things wrong with this body. Yeah, there's a lot of things wrong with a lot of things, but that is not one of them. (laughs) But it is not wrong to feel the way that you do. It's not wrong to need extra support. Extra support is encouraged. And I'm so grateful that I have extra support from Brittany. Brittany gives me so much support with endometriosis, with my feelings, with what I go through. Brittany supports me so much. And Brittany has truthfully been key. She's been so integral in me to stop loathing and hating myself for you know, not being happy all the time and having quote unquote negative feelings. And Brittany has let me, she's the one who's shown me that it's okay, that it is okay to feel how I feel. And then I went and took Brittany's <laughs> teachings and then I wrote them a book and I shared them to the whole world. <laughs> I won up to Brittany so hard. <laughs> it's not a competition you know or anything. What? At least but... I know I was the foundation. <laughs> Every good house needs a good foundation. Written by Amy. All ideas came from Inspired Brittany. Inspired <laughs> by Brittany. <laughs> I just think it's so hard to learn these things. Like if no one had really told me, if Brittany hadn't told me and supported me and let me know that it was okay to feel what I'm feeling. I'm not sure when I would have learned that. I think there's more messaging now with social media and Instagram and, you know, self-help books and things that we have more access nowadays to information like this, that it's okay to feel our feelings. But I think for so long in society and still really the prominent message of society is conceal, don't feel. Ooh, (laughs) that's from Frozen. Wow. That's accurate is hide it. Don't show it. Don't feel it. You should just be happy all the time. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, look on the bright side. Oh, find the silver lining. Oh, there must be something positive in this. Society tells us like, oh, it's not attractive to be angry. It's not appropriate to be sad all the time. There's lots of derogatory terms for people who are experiencing those types of emotions. Society demonizes our feelings and it's ridiculous because feelings are natural and feelings are human and they're human responses. They are. Feelings communicate with us. And so if we're sad, it's a communication with us. It's telling us that maybe we need to let go of something. Maybe something changed. Maybe we have to process and adapt and adjust to something usually that's different or gone from our lives. You know, if we're angry, we're often angry because of some injustice. The feelings that we feel are valid feelings. It's not normal to be happy all the time. And it's not good to be experiencing positive, quote unquote, emotions all the time. Like who said that feelings or emotions are, quote unquote, positive and negative? Yeah, here we go with the good and bad binary. Why do we have to have that on everything? I just think that because society has told us, like has tried to shove down our throats so much that we should be positive all the time. We've kind of developed as a society like a twisted sense of what happiness is. And in my own case, I confused happiness with toxic positivity or like pretending to feel a certain way or like faking it until I make it. And that's not, to me at least, anymore what happiness is. I think what Brittany and I both want is we don't want fake happiness or pretend happiness. We want real happiness deep inside of us. 
I think something I was thinking about when you mentioned society and all the media and social media outlets where we get this message, a lot of it comes from platforms like Instagram where we're shown all the best moments of people's lives, but we're never shown the things that they struggle with. And more and more, there are more people on Instagram talking about their struggles in addition to their happiness, but overwhelmingly, we're shown all the beautiful moments and the captions are always, my life is the best. I'm so happy. This is the most wonderful thing ever. And when you're sitting on the other side in pain and misery, you feel like this is how you're going to be forever. And it's such an isolating feeling. But what they're posting also isn't their truth. So it's important to remember that what we perceive from others in our celebrities, our social media spaces, anywhere that we're consuming what the media and society tells us is not truth. And what we're experiencing is a more universal truth. Amy and I both fully believe in feeling our feelings, all of them, and not repressing them. And I mean all of them. (laughs) Sometimes at the same time. (laughs) Sometimes Amy and I will be messaging and it'll be 30 feelings in the span of 30 minutes. And that's also okay. (laughs) Well, and it's interesting. Well, Brittany and I share a lot with each other. Basically, Brittany is like, my conscious and I'm Britney's conscious <laughs> yes. and I'm Britney's my soul and we I'm have Britney's no soul. Barriers. And it's really interesting how this sister friendship, yes. soul friendship. We share works. a soul and brain and kind of a body sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but what I really like is when Britney will then chat me like I'm having a feelings overload or I could do the same to her and they'll be like, OK, call me right now. She'll just be like, and this is happening and this is happening. And it's really nice because then, get it all out. <laughs> well, one, she can get it all out and not repress it and not shove it down, which is super important. And two, I can listen and validate her feelings and I can also see her feelings from the outside. So sometimes when we're so overwhelmed with our feelings, like we can't figure out what we're feeling. All we know is that we're feeling like, for example, we are feeling like we have no energy in our body. We cannot get out of bed. We just want to cry. We're feeling some tightness in our chest. Our hands are in fists. It's like, I don't know what I'm feeling. And then when Brittany starts explaining, I'm this and I'm that and I'm this. And I can say to Brittany, sounds like you're feeling rage. Sounds like you're feeling furious. Sounds like you're feeling disappointment. Sounds like you're feeling hopeless. And I also think that's really helpful to label your feelings. Recognize them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And get that kind of when you're in the feelings and then you can kind of take a step back and sometimes we need each other's help to take a step back from the feelings. The feelings suck you in yeah, it's like, like a black hole, like a vacuum cleaner, like you're <laughs> a piece of cat hair being vacuumed oh up my. by the vacuum cleaner. Oh, I love vacuuming. Oh, no idea. <laughs> I There's apparently, so much cat hair in this house. My analogy was going to be it feels like when you're in the middle of the feeling like you're in an ocean and it's all rushing around you. So you don't know what's what. You don't know which feeling is which because they're all mushed together in the ocean. But when you take a step back, it's like looking at multiple tide pools and you can see which every feeling is and how to process them and deal with them. Who likes my analogy more? No one. Crickets. (laughs) (laughs) Crickets. I swear I use better analogies in the book, people. (laughs) She does. She does. Most of them are my idea, but, you know, she does. (laughs) I tease. They're not. (laughs) So the best thing about what Amy was describing, the ability to for lack of a better phrase, word vomit, (laughs) everything out about what you're feeling, is that it makes sure that I can experience my feelings and get them all out and then understand them. If I tried to just hide them or say that they weren't important or make myself feel a different way, then I'm pushing down all of my feelings deep inside my core so that I don't have to experience them. 
And often that manifests as unhealthy coping mechanisms as I try to avoid feeling my feelings. There's a lot of unhealthy coping mechanisms that exist in our world. Some are even promoted in some ways, and some are even normalized. We do things like eating or shopping. <gasps> oh, I was a huge a shopper in the past. Not now, <laughs> but in the past. You were a shopping feelings number. <laughs> I was a shopping feel, but I didn't even know that. Like I did had no awareness of the fact that I shopped when I felt sad, but I felt sad a lot and I shopped a lot. And now looking back, I'm like, wow, every time I felt sad, I went and like bought myself a pair of mm-hmm. earrings or I bought yeah, myself. Retail therapy is something that's literally a phrase. And it should not be therapy. No, it should not be we normalized should. like that. <laughs> we should get real therapy with yes. a mental health professional. We, we should get actual <laughs> therapy, not retail therapy. Yeah, mine was reading books. And I did this coping mechanism starting from when I was a child. And my mom would tell me, you can't use books to escape from your reality. But it's something that I still struggle with. And my defense mechanism is to lose myself in a book when I'm feeling overwhelming feelings. So Essentially, what I did was I just tried to remove myself from the situation by distracting myself with any means necessary. So for me, it was a book. For other people, it could be social media. It could be reality TV. It could be crime dramas, which also I get. I love those. (laughs) There's so many ways that we can distract ourselves and also give ourselves the sense of staying busy. I always was like, I have seven books to read or I have so many things to do. I had a huge to-do list. I'd be like, now I have Mm -hmm. to clean the refrigerator. Yeah, random, but... Yeah, anything to distract yourself. Anything. It was like, ooh, and now I have to dust the shelves, and now I have to walk down to the supermarket and see if those pumpkin crumpets I want went on sale. (laughs) Well, pumpkin was really popular when I lived in Japan. Your list is very funny. I like that. (laughs) Yeah, because I made stuff up. I mean, my mind, it was super important. My mind was like, this is important, because really my mind was like, we can't feel our feelings. They're so scary. do something else. And they're they're going to kill us. And they're so overwhelming. We (laughs) Redirect. Redirect. We got to clean the fridge. We got to. Amy, clean the fridge. If you don't clean the fridge, you are a bad person. I'm like, I'm a bad person. I got to clean the fridge right now. I mean, there was a wow, lot. that spiral. Whoop. There was a lot going on. So. so, yeah, that's not uncommon, though, the feeling of, like, I'm always rushing everywhere. I'm just so busy all the time so that I don't have to ever process my feelings or experience my feelings. It's not uncommon in our culture, and especially in Western culture, being busy is so prized as a good attribute when there's so many negative repercussions from living life like that. Well, we hear that a lot, too. Like if something happens and people say like they're at work and they're like, I don't want to go home. I just want to work because if I go home, I'll be alone with my feelings. Yeah, it's distracting me. Yeah. I'm using work to distract me. So yeah. it's, I think it's really common not to feel our feelings. And feeling our feelings is really scary. And, and it can hard. be really ugly. And I have made a commitment now to feeling my feelings. And sometimes my feelings, they're scary and they're overwhelming. and I think it can be really, really important at times to enlist the help of a loved one, of a Brittany, for example, (laughs) or of a mental health professional, because sometimes we do need support with feeling our feelings. Like sometimes we just, you know, something happens and we feel a disappointment or a sadness and we can feel those feelings. But there is sometimes our feelings like when I was writing my book, I was bringing up a lot of feelings as I wrote about so many things. And I need a lot of support from Brittany and from my boyfriend working through my past hurts, my deep hurts, feeling things that came up. And, and it's really hard. Absolutely. So now we want to move on from our feelings and talk about happiness. 
did think that was all really important because as we said, we really think a key to having true happiness is being in touch with our feelings, not being fake happy or having toxic positivity, but actually feeling our true feelings. So what is happiness? In Brittany and I, my opinion. So we're not like experts on happiness or anything. <laughs> we're just going to say what we think happiness Maybe every is. person thinks that happiness is something a little bit different for them. And we respect that. So we're just going to talk about what we believe happiness is and how we believe that, you know, we can get there. So tell me, Brittany, what is happiness? Happiness to me is the coolest, crisp autumn day in New England. When all the leaves are orange and red and yellow, and there's just a slight chill in the air, and you can smell the smell of pumpkins and apples, that's happiness to me. Happiness to me is when you have to go pee so freaking badly that you are literally shaking, and you cannot think about anything else, and you're starting to feel like you're going to vomit from how nauseous you are, from how badly you have to pee, and you're literally holding your vagina with your hand because you're trying to squeeze shut your labia so that your pee doesn't come out (laughs) and then you rush to the toilet and you throw up the toilet seat and you throw down your pants and you sit on the toilet and it goes and you pee and you're like oh now i feel like i have to pee (laughs) i feel like i have to pee now (laughs) i made it i made it i made it i made it that is a sense of relief that (laughs) To me, that's not relief, girl. That is happiness. Happiness. That is like my happiest moment. It's when I am on the toilet. And you've made releasing things. Of course, it burns and it hurts. And, you know, start getting all these weird feelings like flank pain and back pain. Because, you know, with peeing comes pain. And the prickly burning I made it to the toilet. And so in that moment, I'm like, oh. And also, I'm like so proud of myself. I feel like so accomplished. I'm like, yes. I didn't drip on the floor at all. saved another (laughs) pair of underwear. (laughs) I pay for my laundry, people, $1.50 a load. All right. So every every underwear is a quarter saved. So... (laughs) And I also have to go to the laundromat. So it's really hard to do laundry. (laughs) Happiness to me is after you just got back from a long day at the beach and you go by the farm and you pick some strawberries and then you have a fresh strawberry in the summer sun as it just kisses your skin and wraps you up in a warm hug. That's happiness to me too. Mine are very seasonal, and apparently I have a charmed view on the world. (laughs) My life is a fairy tale. (laughs) I have main character vibes. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay, well, happiness to me is when I go to bed, and then I'm not in full body pain. So I go to bed, and then I actually fall asleep within just like a few minutes of going to bed. And then I sleep the whole night without tossing, turning, writhing, waking up because I'm nauseous, waking up because I have back pain because of my IC, waking up with a full bladder and then going and peeing and then having that burning and then getting back in the bed, not waking up from hot flashes, not waking up from cramps in my abdomen, not waking up because I have to rush to the toilet for diarrhea, not waking up because I have a charley horse, not waking up because of cramps, not waking up because I bled all over myself, out of my vagina, spontaneously got my period. And now all the sheets are soaking wet with blood, but I'm in a lot of pain, so I can't even get up and clean it. So I just go lie in it all night long. 
when I just sleep through the night and I wake up in the morning. And I feel like crap, of course, when I wake up. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> but I did it. I slept the whole night and I feel like a tiny little less bit of crap than the crap I would have felt like <laughs> if all of those things had happened as they usually do. That is happiness to me. <laughs> Can't relate. I never sleep through the night. <laughs> Insomnia who? <laughs> Can't relate to that happiness, but I'm happy for you. <laughs> Happiness to me is when I wake up in the morning and I stretch my arms and I open my eyes to the sound of the twittering birds outside my window. And I look over and my little baby Amira's face is just looking up at me. And I say, good morning, baby girl. And she lets out a little blip with her tongue and just looks up at me. And in what I assume is doggy says, I love you, mommy. You're the most wonderful mommy in the whole world to me. And then I kiss her little head and she cuddles on top of me. I mean, my husband's there too, but mostly it's about Amira. <laughs> That's when I'm so happy. Morning cuddles with my dog are the best cuddles ever. Happiness for me is when Red Dragon lands. That's not the happy moment. Ooh. <laughs> no, my period comes and suddenly the sledgehammer gets at my back. The crushing sensation. The bowel spasm. And I vomit over and over again. And I writhe and I pace and I pass out and then I get up and then I squirm and then I change positions and I vomit and then the spasms and I have diarrhea and then I vomit again. And then that goes on for like four or five hours. And really, I'm in agony. I'm in hell. It's excruciating. And then something happens. <gasps> what? The pain levels drop from a 10 to a nine. Oh. And I stop vomiting, and the bowels stop spasming, and then I pass out on the bathroom floor. Ah, it's bliss. <laughs> I passed out. I'm away from my pain, and I'm no longer vomiting or crapping. And it's lovely. A miracle. <laughs> Blissful. That. Sounds like a spa day. <laughs> of course, there's still like three days ahead of me of, of debilitating, <laughs> a debilitating pain where I literally cannot get up from the bathroom floor or get out of my bed. But I'm not writhing. And I will take the being stuck in the bed, debilitated, then the excruciating going out of my skin, writhing. And so that's, ah, oh, happiness. I'm so happy. <laughs> That was a wild ride from start to finish. That was so fun. Oh, God. I mean, those are all moments of joy and bliss and happiness, but those are all jokes. That was a joke. Except the last one. Uh, my last one or my, your last my one? My last Maybe one. both of us. I love ones. my dog that much. And I love my cat that much. <laughs> but for the most part, jokes. My, my cat does make me incredibly happy. Yes, my dog makes me incredibly but, happy. No, those are all lovely, blissful moments. I think they're moments of happiness, but... All of that happiness that we just talked about, jokes. Joking about. <laughs> <laughs> Brittany has a perfect life. Yeah, apparently. But apparently I don't know who that Brittany is. on the beach. <laughs> that was my the childhood. The seashore as strawberries kiss her lips. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> if I kiss a strawberry, I'm also kissing an EpiPen, but yeah, right. whatever. Thanks, histamine. <laughs> hey, you got to talk about a full night's sleep, okay? We can't always get what we want. <laughs> 
No, we can't. No, we can't. <laughs> we really can't. But we can get happiness, maybe. <laughs> We're going to talk about that. <laughs> so I think there's really a difference between a happiness that is fleeting and that is conditionally linked to circumstances, like linked to Brittany eating strawberry on the beach or linked to me arriving to the toilet in time, which is still wonderful. <laughs> I'm going to say it's still not a bad example. <laughs> but all of that is like a fleeting linked happiness because in those moments, like you're happy. I'm so happy when I get to the toilet. But then that happiness fades. It's like I experience happiness rather than I am happy. Yeah. It's like moments of joy and moments of bliss. And the happiness that Brittany and I want to talk about today is happiness that is not conditional on any situation, is happiness that is really deep inside of us. and it's always there for us, always waiting for us, always available for us to come back to. That sounded really philosophical. <laughs> Hold on, people. <laughs> We're going to break it down. Okay, episode's over. Cliffhanger, bye. <laughs> Have a great life. Bye. <laughs> Brittany and I are going to go sit on the beach, on toilets on the beach, and, and eat, eat strawberries. strawberries. With she's our EpiPen. <laughs> she's going to eat strawberries, and I'm just going to smell watch them. her. <laughs> You're going to smell them. <laughs> In our opinion, happiness is not an all-exclusive state, right? So I think you can be happy in your overall life, even when you're feeling sad, like fleetingly sad about something that's happened. So as Brittany and I said, like emotions are not binary. There's not this, oh, this emotion is good and this one is bad and this one is positive and this one is negative. And I think as a society, we've been taught that our emotions are exclusive. So if I'm feeling sad, then I'm only sad and I can't be feeling anything else. But what I've been learning is that we can hold multiple feelings and emotions in our hearts at the same time. Like we can have space for multiple feelings. People often use the phrase of I feel bittersweet, which is something that we recognize as I feel some kind of sadness and also some kind of happiness. But that feeling is accurate for how we can be all the time. We can experience or be in a state of happiness while also experiencing other emotions that may be passing or a little bit more long term or very short term. So bittersweet, that concept is real and doesn't have to be for just one situation or one moment. So I have an example of this in my own life. After I had excision surgery, I was so happy that I was able to get this life-changing surgery after 16 years of being undiagnosed, being untreated, having debilitating pain flares, having incontinence both in my bladder and my bowels. Thank you, Endo, and thank you, Endo. And thank you, other problems that I have too. Thank you all. <laughs> thank you, everything. <laughs> thank the body. Thank you. And I was so grateful to have access to excision surgery because that's something that most people with endometriosis don't have access to. So I was so happy and I was so grateful. And then at the same time, a couple months after I had excision, I got the onset of the histamine intolerance and the mast cell problems. And those were huge, huge problems that completely upended my life with anaphylactic shock, with allergies to everything. I completely had to change my diet, my lifestyle things that I'd already had to change in the past for endometriosis. And I was angry. I was just so angry. Are my health problems ever going to freaking end? You know, why is this happening to me? This is not fair. I had all of those feelings. 
anger and injustice at the same time as happiness and gratitude. And that's okay. That is okay to have all of those feelings. If I had pushed them out and I'd said, no, Amy, you can't be upset about the histamine because you had excision surgery, then I would have been invalidating my experiences. And it would have made them 10 times harder. So I honored those feelings. I grieved. I mean, I really, truly grieved. And I felt angry at the world. And I felt incredibly, incredibly lost. And for about five months, all I did was cry. I cried at home. I cried at work. I literally did. I cried at work. People come to my desk and I would be like, I'm sorry, I'll go to your desk after. I'm, I'm having a moment. I cried all the time. I cried in meetings. I cried in the grocery store. Like I was just crying because I felt so sad. And it was such a heavy blow to have these new mast cell problems, which are such a nightmare to live with. And I was in a really dark place. And at the same time, I also felt grateful for my excision. I also felt happy that I got diagnosed with endo. I also felt happy that I found the endometriosis community. There were all kinds of feelings. And the feelings of grief were really, really strong. And I would say the feelings of gratefulness and happiness were much lighter in the background. A little overtaken at that time. <laughs> but they were there. I used to think that happiness was this like really light, carefree energy. You know, when you just feel like you're on top of the world. You know, when you first fell in love and you're just like, oh, everything is so beautiful and shiny. Even though you're looking at like a bathtub full of mold, you're like, oh, this green is so deep. <laughs> so vibrant. Wow, look at those spores. Isn't nature fascinating? Those rose-colored glasses. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> you know, and I, I used to think like when I got news that I got into college back when I was in high school, like I felt so happy in that moment. And for such a long time, I linked happiness to moments like that. Things were going right in my life. Those are happy moments. But now my happiness is something that is much deeper. You know, I think my happiness is linked to acceptance and to peace, and it's really not linked to outside circumstances. You know, I think I've realized now that for so long for me, happiness was like these little snippets of feelings like, oh, I feel happy because this good thing happened. Oh, I feel happy because this good thing happened. And now I realize that happiness is this underlying state of being, and it's kind of like my, my true nature. It's who I am. And who I can come back to. And happiness is there waiting for me once I adjust and work through and process my feelings. And so, you know, in the time when all the histamine and mast cell onset was happening, like, yeah, I was visibly sad. Every single person knew that I was in a bad place and I was sad and I was grieving. Like, there is no doubt. My friends knew, my boyfriend knew, my coworkers knew, like, Everyone knew there was no hiding how sad I was. I was sad, but I felt my sadness. I just let myself feel it. I worked through it. I journaled. I talked to people. I reached out to a mental health professional. I did chanting every single day with meditation music, which really just helped me, like, I don't know, have some kind of release, just like sitting there. I was in the dark with a little candle on this little rug, just like rocking back and forth, my arms around me, like hugging myself, rocking and chanting some chants every single day for like weeks and weeks. And then one day I just realized that I was gradually feeling less and less sad. I was gradually finding more and more peace with what was happening to me. I was adjusting. 
I was figuring out ways to, you know, make changes and to try to feel just a tiny bit less symptoms. And then after, I don't know, maybe like six or seven months, the sadness faded. And I kind of just found myself still struggling, of course, with the histamine in the mast cell, like still having moments of sadness when I would go outside and the sun would hit my face and then I would have a flare and I would suddenly get a huge migraine and be sneezing and my nose would be running and my heart would be pounding. I'm like, really? All I did was go in the sun for like two minutes. And that made me feel sad in that moment. So then there became a lot more like the little snippets of sadness, the little snippets of anger, but happiness. I found my way back to deep happiness, inner peace. And I think it's, it's really hard to do. It's really hard to find that. And I know with endometriosis, it took me over 10 years to go from the onset of endometriosis, the onset of all those feelings of anger and injustice and sadness. It took me a, over a decade to find my way to any kind of peace and acceptance and happiness. But since I kind of had all of those building blocks set up, and put into place, which we're going to talk about in a minute. With the histamine onset, it didn't take me 10 years from the onset of histamine and the onset of my injustice and grief and anger to go back to happiness. It only took a few months. And I think that really cemented to me, at least, that happiness is always there for us. It can be really hard to find if we don't work through all of, like, to me, happiness is like, this bottom layer. It's the foundation of our lives that we live from. But then all these other layers stack on top, like layers of anger and grief and sadness and injustice and disappointment and trauma and fear. And if we don't work through them, if we don't peel back layer by layer and like work our way down to the bottom, then it's really hard to find happiness. I think that's one of the most interesting and crucial things to learn is that happiness can be long term. And like you said, you built the building blocks for your happiness. And I kind of see it as creating a foundation for a building. I may have to stop construction on the building, but the foundation is still there so I can always go back to rebuilding it. And the building exists as its own entity. It's not small, tiny pieces of wood or pieces of glass. It's a whole entire structure that I can live within and that can live within me. And that's a very interesting idea is that it doesn't have to be tied to just an experience. Happiness isn't just an experience. It can be who we are and it can make up how we see the world and how we experience the world. This kind of deeper, all-encompassing happiness is a skill and it takes practice, like all skills and all new things that we have to learn how to do. And look at Amy. She said it took her over 10 years to even figure this out. And for me, I'm still figuring it out. It takes a very long time because this is not something that we're set up for by society or that we just innately know how to do. It's something that we do have to teach ourselves. Well, I feel like society wants us to be unhappy because when you're unhappy, you consume. Oh, yeah, you do. When you're unhappy with your body, you buy lipstick and mascara or clothes that make you feel sexy or a certain way. When you're unhappy with your home, you buy a new sofa, you buy a new that like I feel like there's constant messaging that you're not happy, you're you incomplete. You can't be happy with however you look or however you, you feel. You need this or... to be happy. Exactly. You need that thing to be happy. We're not told that happiness is deep inside of us. When I started learning that, I was like, what does that even mean? And I feel like it's really hard at first to wrap our heads around because for so long 
we're taught that happiness isn't a good thing happening to us. But the thing is, life is not full of good things. And I think we see that with endometriosis. Like, there's so much bad stuff happening to us. So how, how do we find happiness then? How? I think that deeper happiness is something we have to learn how to grow and nurture and cultivate and water and twist up the vine so that it can climb and then keep watering it and hope that we don't kill it. But I don't like gardening. (laughs) Well, then you can use the house analogy, okay? (laughs) But I think it's something that we slowly build over time. We have to put practice into it. It has to become a habit. We can use tools like a saw or like gratitude like a watering can, or like self-compassion. So these things like gratitude and being present with ourselves, self-compassion, being kind, having good self-talk, we can use these tools to help us to build our practice of happiness. Oh, Brittany, I heard you say the word gratitude. I know I did. I'm gratitude. <laughs> Grat-annoying-tude. <laughs> Grat-attitude. <laughs> Well, I just feel like gratitude is another one of those things that's been like so twisted and convoluted by society that there's like certain things that now it's just all of it's become so trite, I feel the, like. The toxic gratitude is not what I mean here. Oh, where we okay. have to be grateful for everything in our lives. I'm at so all grateful times. for everything. I mean, I am grateful when I rush to the toilet and make it. Like I feel <laughs> deep gratitude in that moment. But toxic gratitude would tell you that you should be grateful for your endo because at least you don't have other things. Like that's not real gratitude. You should be grateful when you make it to the toilet that you can even go pee at all. Yeah, that you even have a toilet. How dare you? (laughs) Yeah, that's not the gratitude I mean here. The gratitude I mean is more just recognizing any little glimpses of happiness that you have in your life or glimpses of the good things that you have, like things you like. Sometimes you don't have to have gratitude for those things, but you can still like them. That's the very start of practicing just being aware of what you do have and what can bring you those moments of joy. Like, I like my dog, and I like my hair, and I like when I paint my fingernails, and I like a strawberry fresh off the vine after a day on the beach. (laughs) You can have very average things that you like because those things can also help reframe your focus. And sometimes we don't feel like we can have gratitude because everything feels like crap and everything feels terrible. But I'm willing to bet there's almost always something that we can find that we like. And if we just start there, that's a really good place to start. So maybe instead of saying, oh, I'm so grateful for my toilet because I like don't feel gratitude like, oh, I have a toilet. I feel so grateful. But I do feel like, ooh, I like my toilet. And I like that. It's got a comfy seat. <laughs> I like that I get to sit on the toilet, whereas when I lived in Japan, a lot of the toilets, not in my home, but like in the train stations and stuff, they were the affectionately known as the squatty potty, where, you know, you would squat down into a like ceramic hole. And those toilets were really hard for me to be on when I had excruciating stabbing pains in my bowels while the poo was coming out. So sometimes I was like, oh God, I was kind of writhing and thrashing because of the pain. And I was like, my butt might fall into this hole and then get dirty. And then that would be disgusting. And so, yeah, I feel, I like to be able to sit on my toilet. Ah, and I really liked when I lived in Japan, when you went to the department store and they had heated toilet seats. <gasps> oh, the And then luxury. they had the bidet. And then when you were done, oh. you just push a little button and then some warm Cleans water came you. and cleaned your butt and you didn't have to use any toilet paper <laughs> and you didn't chafe. Oh, it was so good. That so, yeah. is nice. 
I do like my toilet. <laughs> I, I don't feel gratitude. I don't feel like, oh, I'm so grateful. But I feel like I like my toilet. So I think it's important to just start where we are. Start with one thing that you like or start with one thing that you don't hate even. Sometimes we got to start there. So wherever you feel like you are, start just pinpointing those things that you don't hate. Maybe the things that you're okay with, then the things that you like, then the things that you really love. And maybe eventually there may be a thing or two that you feel gratitude for. The reason that doing this even matters or is important is because it shifts our frame of reference or our frame of mind for how we're viewing what we're experiencing. So think of it this way. If everything in our life sucks, which sometimes it does, it's fair. But if we hate everything that we see, we hate everything that we experience, then how we're seeing the world is just that everything is always going wrong. Everything is always ruined. Everything is always a mess. Everything is always terrible. So we're setting ourselves up for having this viewpoint that everything is always bad, wrong, broken, awful. Well, we're setting ourselves up for unhappiness. Mm -hmm. How can we be happy if everything is always going wrong? And I get it. Like, wow. Things sometimes are, it feels like that. <laughs> things with endometriosis are going wrong. Like, sometimes I feel like everything is going wrong with my body. Like, sometimes it's like everything in my life is going wrong. And then I'm like, oh, then I see the shiny throne, the toilet. <laughs> Every time I go there, it talks to me. Hallelujah. I'm like, oh, God, you're beautiful. <laughs> you are. So that's why it's important because finding the things that we like, love, or have gratitude for can help us shift or just refocus saying, okay, most things are crap right now, but at least I have a good place to crap. <laughs> so. It can just help us to reframe the way that we see the world and realize that not everything is miserable. Maybe a lot of things are right now, but there's one or two things that I can find that just bring me back to the reality that not everything is unhappiness, not everything is broken, miserable, not working, terrible, that we don't have to exist on a binary, that there can be happiness even amidst suffering. I think for me, one of the huge building blocks to setting myself up to find deeper happiness and to have that deeper happiness be available to me is self-compassion. And I know we talk about that a lot in this podcast, and I also think it's because we struggle with that a lot. I think for so many of us, we really struggle with the voice in our heads because that critic, that judge in our head, it goes at us, right? Like, the critic in our head sometimes loves to attack us, loves to judge us, blame us, hate us, loathe us, criticize us, be awful to us, tell us how stupid we are, how inadequate we are, how burdensome we are, how bothersome we are. And so here's the thing, like, how can we have happiness in our lives and with ourselves if we aren't being kind to ourselves, if we're not being gentle and forgiving with ourselves? And I truly think that if we cannot fully accept ourselves for who we are, accept ourselves with all of our human imperfections, our personal imperfections, but those imperfections, they're just human imperfections that all people have. We don't have all of the same imperfections, but we all have imperfections. We all have flaws. If we cannot accept ourselves for who we are, then I think it can be really hard to have true happiness when there is this looming cloud over us that we're not good enough, that we're inadequate, we're unlovable, we're undeserving. How do we find happiness when we feel this way about ourselves? And feeling this way about ourselves, most of the times I think is subconscious. Like if you had asked me five years ago, 
Amy, do you hate yourself? I'd be like, no. Of course not. But if I said to Brittany all the things my voice in my head said to me, like if I outwardly said it about Brittany, like, Brittany, you're undeserving. You're stupid. You made that mistake because you're an idiot. That's why you made that mistake because you never think, because you never take the time, because you never blah, blah, blah. Brittany be like, um, I don't think we should. <laughs> this this, gets really this deep. relationship toxic. is toxic and we and you don't appreciate me. And I think we need so to goodbye. end this. And now I need therapy from all the mean things you've said to me. I need extra therapy because <laughs> I'm already dealing with the mean things I say to me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Double mean. <laughs> so self-compassion, being kind to ourselves, it is so, so important. And it is a huge building block to finding true happiness. Amy and I could go on and on all day for hours and hours and hours, maybe a 24 live stream podcast where we go on and on and on about the <laughs> building blocks to happiness. When do we use the bathroom? <laughs> um, we're sitting on toilets, remember? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but we could go on forever about them. But we've actually done a lot of separate episodes about these building blocks. And what the building blocks that we've mentioned are just a few, not all of the components that exist in order to achieve real happiness. If it seems overwhelming to you what we're talking about, like, oh, my gosh, there's so much to being happy. I didn't realize I'd have to do so much work to be <laughs> Happiness is that chore. It's effort, people. It's determination. It's motivation. You're like, I don't have that. I have fatigue all day. I'm How exhausted. Am I, supposed to be happy? I, I can barely push the remote to turn up the volume on my Netflix. I mean, I get it. Sometimes the remote is an inch away from your fingers. That's and you're too in, far. That's too you're far. In, you're literally debilitated from pain. You're like, if I move an inch, there will be searing pain on my body i can't and i call my boyfriend I'm like yep boyfriend and sometimes you, i wish my dog had opposable like, thumbs oh for that God. reason i you really do that's why you got to put a string on the remote oh yeah you got to tie, tie a shoelace to, to the remote and then tie it to your wrist we need to have those smart tvs where you can say hey tv turn up the volume can wow. we get that can i get a smart body where i go hey body hold your poop in we're not at the toilet yet and the body's yes. like yes Yes, ma'am. We're going to make you an android of some kind. I was going to say, can you just turn me into an android, please? Okay. We'll take your consciousness, put it into a robot body. Put it in the robot. It can work. Keanu Reeves had a new movie on that. Yeah, come on now. (laughs) I believe anything Keanu says. (laughs) Maybe that's a place that we can start, is instead of seeing it as overwhelming, seeing it as, okay, this is something that could be exciting. I can start with one tiny, tiny thing. But first, feel your feelings about how it's overwhelming. Yes. Don't allow yourself, yourself to, to feel overwhelmed. The feelings. And then I often feel overwhelmed. Process <laughs> them and move on to the, okay, I could take action. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. Overwhelming. Yes. Exciting. Mm, I wouldn't go that far. But it is. Maybe I can mm, feel a little hopeful. Maybe yeah. A little uh, ooh, positive. I, I like hopeful because it's like, ooh, there's so many places I could start to tackle trying to get to happiness. It's not just like one thing. And if you do it wrong and you fail, you never get it. It's like, oh, well, I'm trying to be grateful, but I can't. I just literally cannot find gratitude. Screw gratitude. I hate it. Okay, cool. Screw it. You hate it. Got it. Then try something else. Why don't you try your self-talk. I can't have good self-talk. I hate myself. Okay, cool. Ooh, you hate yourself. Woo! Scared. I'm a little Ooh, scared. Been there, done that. I'm a little scared, <laughs> but yeah, I get it. Cool. Hate yourself. Okay, what about being more present in the moment? What about trying to do something for five minutes every day that brings you joy? You're like, ooh, I like that. Yes. Yes, I have been meaning to take up that new hobby of painting or reading my book or 
brushing my cat with the super furinator. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that or, makes my cat or it happy. Could be and less me. intense, like just sitting out on the porch with a cup of tea. Or... Brushing your cat with that super okay, furinator. Furinator, not <laughs> verminator. Or... <laughs> Or vacuuming your cat. <laughs> back to the vacuum. We're back here. Actually, my cat, one of my cats is so scared of the vacuum. The other cat loves to attack the vacuum. It is so funny. I'll just turn the vacuum on. I'll leave the hose and it'll be like, and he'll go up to it and he'll start batting it and pushing I'm going to take you out. This is my territory. <laughs> no, he's not the brightest, but he's sweet. <laughs> I think one of the pieces that broke it down for me because I often am a person who gets easily overwhelmed. But what broke it down for me was just the small, tiny step-by-step. So say if we use positive self-talk, for example, or non-negative self-talk, we can say, okay, well, every time I think I'm so stupid, every time that pops into my head, instead I'm just going to say, I'm trying my best. I'm just going to replace that one phrase. Ooh, I'm trying my best. I replaced it with, I'm learning and growing. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you. And then if it kept saying, I'm stupid, I'm stupid, I would sing the wheels on the bus go round and round. Yeah, to get it out of your head. Yeah. The critic would not. It was like, you're so stupid. I can't believe how stupid you And the voice is so mean. I was like, wow, I should play Gollum in the movies. <laughs> My precious, you're stupid. You know, it's like, stupid wow. Hobbitses. <laughs> stupid immigrant. Oh, my God. Wow. Wow, your Gollum's real rude. <laughs> Give it the ring and let it get out. <laughs> Bring back Smeagol, okay? (laughs) So I think just that tiny little start feels really small and inconsequential. But it's kind of like, okay, we've all heard of the downward spiral, right? Like, (laughs) we've all experienced the downward spiral, right? (laughs) I think my body's in a downward spiral right now. I think from the moment I was born, I was in a downward spiral. (laughs) As soon as I got my first period, the downward spiral (laughs) began. But I think with this kind of practice, we can kind of be an upward spiral where one small thing is a catalyst for that spiral to go up and grow and grow and grow. And eventually we can replace one phrase. Instead, we've replaced 30 phrases. And instead, most of our self-talk is no longer toxic and harmful for us. Maybe now we've been energized enough because we feel like we're being kind to ourselves that We can start to practice being more present in the moment or practice gratitude. Now maybe we've worked on that and our spiral is growing and growing and it gives us enough energy to just be able to take the next step, take the next action. And these tiny little things, these tiny little steps that can take months and years, when you look back, they really can have immeasurable growth on the way that we see ourselves and the way that we see the world. But all it has to start with is one tiny little step. Well, it just makes me think about how things really do snowball together and add up. And it's so imperceptible and subtle at the time when we're making those changes. Like for the past 10 years, I have been really subtly changing. I started with looking at my thoughts because that is where I needed the most work, I would say, you know, the self-critic, as I say so often, it was it was strong. I was criticized a lot when I was young and I internalized that voice and I was very abusive to myself. Like I was very, very, very mean and unaccepting and there was so much loathing there. But as I began doing cognitive therapy, 
for my self-talk, for my rumination, for my anxiety. That propelled me to be able to do other things. Like Brittany said, I started to learn to pay more attention to my life. I started believing in myself. I started forgiving myself. I started breaking off toxic relationships because now I truly loved and valued myself more now that my self-talk was different. I was able to recognize a lot of unhealthy coping. I mean, a lot of unhealthy coping mechanisms and exchange those for healthier ones. I started to learn to pay more attention in my life, to have gratitude, and then eventually to be in a place where I could start to work through a lot of my traumas. And it's been a long road, but you know, slowly, one by one, I've been tackling these different aspects of my life, of my mental health, of my relationship with endometriosis. And it's just so interesting to look at where I am now. Right now, I'm in a place where I have a podcast, where I talk about mindset topics. I just finished writing my book, Finding Peace with a Devastating Disease. Like, it is so baffling and shocking. I'm like so flabbergasted. Oh, I just wanted to use that. I'm flabbergasted. (laughs) Such a good word. I am just so flabbergasted that I wrote a book about finding peace with endometriosis when 10 years ago, when I was 26 years old, I can still remember laying on the floor of my bedroom on my tatami, cold Japanese tatami on my face and thinking about ending my life. 10 years ago, I was undiagnosed. I was unsupported. I felt very, very hopeless. I was in pain when I ate, slept, pooped, peed, menstruated, relaxed, breathed, lived. I was in pain 24-7 for over a decade at that point. I'm sure many of you can relate to that. There was often excruciating pain, and I just, I just couldn't live like that anymore. Just deep down, I really felt that something had to change. And I think I was so, so lucky at the time that I had just moved to Japan to teach English. And in Japan, I really fell in with a group of friends that were really into self-help and spirituality. And we would do book exchanges because there weren't a lot of books in English. And the books that they, like I would read books because I was on the train all the time to get to my work. And so just, I started getting exposed to these ideas that I had never been exposed to. These ideas that about living intentionally, these ideas about bringing in more meaning, these ideas about how happiness is not impossible and not inaccessible to any of us. I had no idea at the time that all of that was going to put me into this upward spiral that has been building and building and building and building and ultimately culminating where I am today. And I'm still working on myself. I'm still working on my peace and acceptance and my happiness, but I'm light years ahead of where I was. But also, it's taken a long time. It's been 10 years since that day when I thought about ending my life. And so I just want, like, I just really, really want everyone to know that no matter where you are right now, things can change for you. Things don't have to be the way they are forever. You don't have to feel the way you feel forever. It takes time. It's not instant. But it is possible for things to get better. And for so many people, for so many of us, things do get better. 
I really love that you said it's possible to change and, you know, no matter how long it takes or how bumpy the road may be, that life doesn't have to always look the way that it does now and I don't have to always be how I am now and it's possible to be different and to be happy. On my journey to happiness, the place that I started was coming to terms with the fact that I didn't believe I deserved happiness. At the core of who I was, I didn't think that I was worthy of being happy. And so I had to tackle that. I had to forgive myself for any past perceived or legitimate transgressions. And I had to come to the terms with the fact that being a perfect friend or parent or partner or child or coworker, employee, citizen, or being a good person in general doesn't qualify you or disqualify you from deserving happiness. First of all, nobody can be perfect. Good is subjective. (laughs) And that has nothing to do with my valuation as a person and what I do and do not deserve. That was a really hard place for me to start because society devalues us all the time. And that negative self-talk tells us constantly that we aren't worthy or we don't deserve to be happy or, of course, we're suffering because, of course, we deserve pain. But that's not the truth. No matter what we've experienced in our lives, it's not true that we don't deserve to be happy. So since that was where I started, I really wanted to share with everybody listening that you deserve to be happy. You truly, absolutely, with no conditions, deserve and are worthy of happiness. Do I deserve to be happy, Brittany? Yes, Amy. Do I deserve to find a job that I like? Yes, Amy. Do I deserve to be sick? No, Amy, you don't deserve to be sick because being sick has nothing to do with you. You did nothing to cause yourself being sick. If you were listening, that has nothing to do with it. I was listening, but the critic wasn't listening. (laughs) Yeah, the critic never does. The critic was talking over Brittany. Brittany was like, you deserve happiness. And the critic was like, no, you you don't. don't. No, you don't. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> critic's very loud. The critic is like, wow. So no, you Someone don't. Someone needs to chop that. the critic's tongue off. <laughs> but then it's like an iguana; their tongue just grows. It back. regenerates. <laughs> no, you can never rid the critic from your head. Hey, you we can. regenerate the tongue on the critic, so we can Ooh. choose not to. Ooh, philosophy oh. central over here. <laughs> so cut it off. Cut it out. Okay. <laughs> So we've talked about building blocks. We've talked about beliefs. Let's address for a minute mental health. Mine or my lack thereof? <laughs> Let's address Brittany's mental health, okay. which Use hopefully me as we can pig. extrapolate to other people in the audience. Sometimes the thought crosses my mind of how am I ever going to experience or live a happy life when I'm struggling with depression or anxiety? Do I have a chance of Being truly happy when these things make it feel like it's just totally not possible. Nope, you're doomed. Sorry. Yeah, I thought so. (laughs) (laughs) That tracks. That's the answer I expected. Well, there's been a lot of science on this. And studies suggest that people do have a happiness set point. So this quote-unquote set point determines our general level of happiness. So you might be like, oh, my God, well, I'm screwed because my set point is really low. But I I don't think you are screwed. And I think studies are also suggesting that you're not screwed. None of us are screwed. Our happiness set point is different for all of us. And it's said to be based on genetics and conditioning. 
but studies also suggest that we can change the set point with our thoughts and our habits and our behaviors. Whoa, science. (laughs) Get it, science. (laughs) And we want to be clear, like with this whole episode, we keep saying how the building blocks and how long it can take. So we want to be really clear, like Brittany, I do not think you're just going to go, I decided to be happy. And then you're going to flip a switch and you're going to wake up I and am. your depression's oh. going to be gone. And you're not going to care that you have endometriosis. And you're not going to care that you're in chronic pain. You're not, not going to care that you're incontinent. And you're not going to compare X, Y, Z, A, B, C, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, Ichi, Nisan. You're not going <laughs> <laughs> to. Un, toi. I'm just going to do a bunch of like One of those things. But you're not going to. It's not that you're going to say, oh, I now have a mindset that I'm happy and I choose happiness. And I think we can choose that we want to stay drive for happiness. We can choose to believe that happiness is possible. We can choose to take steps towards happiness. But I don't think you can just go, that's it, I choose to be happy. And then you're happy. Like a light switch. Because that would be repressing your real emotions that are valid that you should be feeling and Mm -hmm. processing through them. So we want to be really clear, like, all of this is a practice and a path and a journey and a transformation and gardening and cultivating and all those (laughs) fancy words that imply and show that this is not just like a oh one two three snap your fingers i'm happy oh i had depression but now i decided to think differently and now i don't have depression like it's not that simple and that cut and dry we wish it were and that's not how depression works so don't let anybody ever tell you that well that's not how <laughs> mine like even when you're not depressed like that's that's not how your not mindset how works your mind works like your mind is patterns and habits and we have to take the time to change them But even with depression, studies are showing that what we do matters. And John Kabat-Zinn, who is a legend of mindfulness, and he's written a lot of books, and in his book, Full Catastrophe Living, he talks about how studies have been done with mindfulness-based stress reduction and these techniques to help people with their clinical depression. And they've seen really good results. Does that mean that every single person is going to get results? Probably not. But does that mean that results are possible for some or perhaps many people? Yes. And so I don't think we should just shut out the idea of happiness because we have depression. I think if, like Brittany, if we have depression, then we can acknowledge that and we can say, wow, maybe I need extra support with this. Maybe I need to work with a mental health professional. Maybe I need the extra support of people in my life. Maybe that's even more important because of my situation with my mental health. Maybe I need to take medication to support my brain chemicals. Maybe we need talk therapy or cognitive therapy or other practices to work through our thought patterns. Maybe we need all of that and we need more. It comes back to like, oh my God, I need all of that. I'll never get there. But it's just that one step at a time, one little baby step at a time. I think that was a big lesson for me because when I was in the worst of my clinical depression and the worst of my anxiety, it was like, there's no light at the end of this tunnel. This is just how it's going to be. This is going to be my life forever. And I have to come to terms with that. Well, and depression makes you feel like that. It's yeah. a trickster. Yes. Anxiety and depression, they They're make you. They're sneaky jerks. They suck the hope out of you. Yes, that's very accurate. And It took me a long time to even come to terms with, like I said, my first step was agreeing that I deserve to be happy because depression and anxiety lie to you and tell you that you are unworthy of everything and that everything is your fault. And so that was a big first step for me was 
was just accepting that I deserved it. And then the next step was a tiny little step in a different direction. Where I was years ago when I first was diagnosed and first dealing with my symptoms is not where I am today. I still have generalized anxiety disorder and still technically hold a diagnosis of clinical depression. So those things are still within me and they're still my mental health, but I have been able to put in practices that have helped me come so much further than I ever thought was possible. I have support systems in place. I work with a mental health professional. I have friends and family, and I have these practices that help me to pull myself out of some of the deep spirals that anxiety and depression can suddenly plunge you into. And having those that ladder helps me to come back to an even keel where I can continue to work on creating a happy life for myself. Being happy doesn't mean that I don't have depression or don't have anxiety. It just means that I'm able to minimize the impact those things have on my life for myself and I'm able to navigate them better. I'm able to be more in control of the situation than allow those things to control me. And that's taken me 12 years. <laughs> so that's a long time. Goodness, I didn't realize how long it was until I just said that. 12 years to do that. You know, when I say it sounds so disheartening, like, oh, my gosh, it took Amy 10 years, it took Brittany 12 years, and they're still working on it. But, you know, I'm 36 and Brittany is 30. And these skills, sure, it took us over a decade to learn for each one of us. But now we have them for the rest of our lives. I still hopefully, have 50 years ahead of me. Brittany still has 60 years ahead of her. We have so much of our lives ahead of us. It can be really daunting to say, oh my gosh, I, if I start now, it still will take you know, 10 years. It could take much less. You know, Brittany and I need a lot of work. You could need much less work than me and Brittany. You can yeah. be in much better shape than Brittany and I <laughs> And the growth okay? you have year over year could be totally different. I mean, I can speak for myself when I say that first year that I started, a year from that date, the difference was so incredible that I had people tell me they thought I was a completely different person. That was in one year. And now I am a very different person, but the amount of growth that I saw from tiny little steps in just one year was so impactful. And then it's refinement and fine-tuning and dealing with things as they come up over the next 10 years. But it doesn't mean that it takes 10 years to get any improvement at all. It can take a day. It can take a week. It can take a month. And as the years pass by, you're able to look back and see how much better things can get. But that doesn't mean it takes that long for any improvement. I promise. Well, I love what you said, Brittany, about how you're able to just come back to this state of acceptance and peace and happiness. And the effects that your depression and anxiety have on you is much more minimized than it was in the past. Like it impacts you much less. And I feel the same way about endometriosis and about my own chronic illnesses. Like I said, when the histamine started and I, I was so deeply sad, like my soul hurt. I was so sad and I was grieving and I was lost. But I found my way back up the ladder to happiness because of those building blocks that I had in. And I found my way back in just half a year. So hopefully all of that gives you a better context and explanation of what I meant when I said in the episode on the silver linings that I had learned to become happy anyways. I truly love the phrase and the idea, happy anyways, 
I thought that up. It's probably out there as some trite cliche. <laughs> I don't know, but I it did come to me a couple of years ago. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm just I'm happy anyways. And I love the idea of anyways because for me it really shows the separation of my life circumstances don't have to be going perfectly for me to be happy because they're never going to be going perfectly because I have endometriosis and I have all kinds of things wrong with my body. And apparently, even if I get treatment for one, other things pop up. And now as I'm treating my SIBO, other problems are popping up with my hormones. And so it's just like, I think I'm just going to keep having problems with my body forever and ever 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 and I want to be happy, even though I'm going to have problems forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. <laughs> so I, that's what I want. I want to be happy anyways. I like the acknowledgement that these things exist. It's not a dismissal, not saying, well, I'm just going to be happy. That's dismissive. The happy anyways acknowledges that these things in our lives exist and In addition to experiencing those things, I will also experience happiness. And I think that's a really nice way to put that. We hope that this episode has planted that small seed, whether it is your self-talk or, in my case, just knowing that I'm deserving of happiness. I hope something in this episode has planted that tiny little seed in you that you are able to help cultivate and grow into learning that happiness is possible and that you are worthy and deserve it. A final plug for Amy's book, because this is one of the most helpful things. It's a real plug, not just a plug. I didn't even tell her to say that. Wow. (laughs) Thank you, Brittany. My final plug is that Amy has these fantastic self-reflections after each writing. And specifically, we've mentioned there are some on happiness. But these self-reflection prompts that she has after each writing in her book are sometimes questions, sometimes actions, sometimes things to think about or things to do. But the point is, is that many of them help you get at the deeper root of what you're thinking, what you're experiencing. They're the kind of questions that you wish somebody would ask you because they let you get it out. Or you wish somebody wouldn't ask you because you don't want to explore those ugly (laughs) truths in yourself. Yeah, they're like a guide. But it's great because you can either do them out loud, which is what I like to do. I'm not a big journaler, so I just answer them out loud. Or if you are a journaler, then you can journal through those feelings. But it's really fantastic because it helps you to get deeper rather than just superficial. And it helps you to get at the root of yourself and the core of why you think you may not be deserving or why you talk to yourself that way or why you prefer to escape with an unhealthy coping mechanism. So I recommend that it's a really helpful resource to help us to grow and cultivate any of these seeds that we're trying to plant in ourselves. So we want to leave you with a question to ponder. Does your happiness depend on anything? Is your happiness a heating pad against ripping cramps in your front and a heating pad against ripping cramps in your back? No, forget the heating pad. A warm bath. (laughs) A hot bath. With bubbles and streaming jets that provide a massage to all the painful areas. Oh, God, I want that so bad. I want that. That is my happiness. If you buy me a whirlpool, people, I swear I'd be happy until the happiness faded. 
as it, as it always does yeah. with fleeting, consumeristic, materialistic things, <laughs> then I'd be in debt. And that's then a I, moment of joy. It's then, not happiness. And then I'd be wasting so much water with the environment. And oh, then God. I'd be regretful. <laughs> so don't buy that. <laughs> so my happiness is not buying myself a no. whirlpool and just sticking to the heating pad. Yes, yeah, so don't rely on moments of joy to tell you what happiness is, Amy. But have moments of <laughs> but joy have moments because of they're joy. beautiful. But recognize that that's not what true happiness is. And true happiness is so much more. It's so much deeper. It's so much more wonderful than even some of the most wonderful and joyful memories that we have. It's so much more freeing. And I think finding happiness, finding peace, finding acceptance, to me, they're all rolled together. I think there really cannot be true happiness if we cannot find peace with our circumstances in our life, because how can we be happy anyways when everything is going crappy, literally or figuratively or metaphorically, usually all of them when it involves <laughs> all together. me in the craps. <laughs> but how can we be happy anyways if we don't accept the way our lives are going, if we don't have peace? with the way our lives are, with all of the good and all of the bad. How can we be happy anyways? I think all of that is rolled together. How can we be happy anyways? We talked a lot about cultivating and seed planting, but I really kind of want to know that if you could plant a seed inside you, what kind of seed would it be? Mine would be a peony because I love peonies. <laughs> so I'm going to plant a peony seed inside of me, okay? Wow, when you say peony... Is it like a seed for urinary issues? No, just a pretty flower. Oh, it's a flower <laughs> called a peony. Peony. Or Can ranicula. I plant a seed for a new intestines? No, um, I meant more like a traditional seed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if there's an intestine growing seed, that's wild. And we all need one of those. <laughs> plant that, baby. <laughs> Look, I want to plant a new seed for a new uterus, a new... Oh, you uh, need a new ovary, I need so a let's new grow ovary. you one of those. All right. <laughs> All right, scratch the peony. Let's grow an ovary. Actually, I'll grow a tulip. Aww. Because they kind of have the shape of an ovary. Yeah, a little uterine shape as well. That's fair. (laughs) So, those are the seeds. If you could grow a seed, uh, traditional or non traditional, what would it be? (laughs) Thank you so much for listening today. As always, we are on in16years.com. We are on Instagram at in16yearsofendo. We really hope that you can plant the seeds of happiness and tulips and peonies and intestines. And ovaries. And ovaries. (laughs) And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.